Welcome to the podcast of the United Church of Bogota. We are a Bible-based church ministering to the English-speaking community in Bogota, Colombia. We invite you to join our diverse fellowship as we encounter God in worship and experience the impact of His grace on every part of our lives and in our world. To learn more, please visit our website at ucbogota.org. again everybody it's a delight to be here with you guys uh, the last several months uh, God has been obviously at work in our the li- our lives and our families' lives to make a, a, an unmistakable call on our lives to come join you here in Bogota to minister to you to serve Christ and serve this city together with all of you and so we are delighted to finally be here. feels a little bit weird coming and then going and then coming again, but uh, we wanted to be here uh, this week to help get a few things set up before all of our kids arrive and say, Dad, what should we do today? What should we do today? And I'm like, we got to get our visas sorted today, uh, son. Isn't that exciting? So uh, anyway, we were here this week getting those things done, and, um, but delighted to be here and worshiping with all of you. Uh, one, of the, one of the things that excited us most about coming here to be with you and about this particular church is that people from all over the world come together to praise God in a place like this. We saw that, uh, Lisa saw that at her uh, church in Paris when she lived there. I saw that at the church that I served in, uh, in Barcelona. And we see that even in our church in Austin where God is bringing people from all over the world to praise him together. And what's, uh, but, but that raises a question for us that I want it to be our big question this morning, and, and that is, how do we grow to be a people that are characterized by praise? How do mornings like this, where we gather together with God's church, how do those become kind of the high point of our spiritual lives? How do we train our hearts and our minds to be people who are characterized by praise in a world that's often characterized by discouragement and difficulty and, and grumbling, complaining about all the things uh, in, in our life. And our, you guys have been going through the Psalms this summer, and so today we'll be looking at Psalm 65 and trying to answer that big question of how do we become people of praise? So let's stand together as we read from God's Word from Psalm 65, a Psalm of David. And let's hear God's Word together. Praise is due to you, O God, in Zion, and to you shall vows be performed. O you who hear prayer, to you shall all flesh come. When iniquities prevail against me, you atone for our transgressions. Blessed is the one you choose and bring near to dwell in your courts. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, the holiness of your temple. By awesome deeds you answer us with righteousness, O God of our salvation, the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas, The one who by his strength established the mountains, being girded with might, who stills the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves, the tumult of the peoples, so that those who dwell at the ends of the earth are in awe at your signs. You make the going out of the morning and the evening to shout for joy. You visit the earth and water it. You greatly enrich it. The river of God is full of water. You provide their grain, for so you have prepared it. You water its furrows abundantly, settling its ridges softening it with showers and blessing its growth. You crown the year with your bounty and your wagon tracks overflow with abundance. 
The pastures of the wilderness overflow. The hills gird themselves with joy. The meadows clothe themselves with flocks. The valleys deck themselves with grain. They shout and sing together for joy. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for the call to come and to praise you. Something that we are not naturally inclined to do, but your word promises to train us to be people of praise. So we pray that you would help us to do that by the power of the Holy Spirit this morning. Make us, shape us into people who love and delight to offer you praise. For it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, a couple of weeks ago, I saw a t-shirt that I had, had not seen before. I was walking out of our local grocery store in Austin, Texas, and a man in his 60s walks, was walking in at the same time that I was walking out wearing a black t-shirt with white letters across the front that said, apathetic agnostic. I don't know, and I don't care. I was taken a little bit aback at first at this man's brutal honesty, but you know, after I thought about it for a minute, I thought, you know what? This guy has the courage to say out loud and, and trumpet by the t-shirt that he wears something that a lot of people think, but a lot of people aren't as courageous to say out loud. Uh, Gallup, uh, the survey company, did, their, uh, did a sat- life satisfaction survey that they've done for 70 years recently, uh, just at the beginning of this year, and they found that only 4 in 10 Americans were ultimately satisfied with their life, which was the lowest number that they have on record in 70 years. So I guess this t-shirt company that's selling uh, these t-shirts might have a bigger market to sell their, sell their t-shirts to here if those trends continue. But perhaps uh, you've felt that sort of downward trend in your life as well. That, that same sense that, you know, I, I'm not, I don't know what's going on in my life. And it's sometimes hard for me to even care what goes on in my life. Maybe uh, your, your marriage is not turning out exactly how you'd hoped it would be. And so you're a little bit discouraged uh, rather than encouraged and excited, rather re- ready to praise. Um, maybe your job is uh, d- discouraging. And uh, every day you go back, it seems to get more and more discouraging. And you think, God, how am I supposed to praise you in the midst of this job that you've given me? Um, even you come to church and you know you should be here as a Christian. You come, and, but maybe it's more automatic and you feel even flat here and think, it's hard for me to sing these words because I know what's going on in my life. Hard for me to praise God. Uh, you feel that downward trend in your life. Our, our text this morning, as I mentioned, is designed to teach us how to cultivate a heart of praise. That's the big purpose of this passage, of this text. And, and I know that you, that you all have been st- studying the Psalms, and so you know that there are different types of Psalms that are in the Bible. You have Psalms of Thanksgiving, uh, Psalms of Lament, uh, royal psalms, wisdom psalms, but this is a psalm of praise. It's the most uh, common psalm in all of the Psalter, and we see it right there. David announces it right in verse 1. Praise is due to you, O God, in Zion. But what is praise? Uh, the, the Hebrew word is actually haleo, from which we get the word hallelujah that we just sung a bunch of times uh, just a few minutes ago. Uh, and, but it means to express admiration, express value, Uh, express approval of something. It's roughly synonymous with other words in the Bible like worship and glorify and honor or words that we only see in the Bible like laud or uh, old words that that you may have heard only if you've read the Bible or listened to old hymns. 
Uh, but there's a lot of words for this type of action in the Bible, this type of expression of approval, because uh, it's something that ought to be so characteristic of, of the Christian life, so regular, so part of the very fabric of what we do and who we are, that one word doesn't capture it. We need a lot of different words to get at this experience of praise. And so, again, this, the big idea of this psalm is that because God is so good, we must cultivate a life of praise. Because God is so good, we must respond to him and his goodness by cultivating a life of praise. But how do we do that? That's what I want to see three things this morning, three adjustments that we can begin to make in our lives that will help us cultivate a heart of praise. Uh, we need to adjust what we see, our vision. We need to adjust our priorities. And we need to adjust our voices, our vision, our priorities, and our voices. And I use that word cultivating a heart of praise deliberately because uh, this is not something that's going to happen overnight, where if you feel discouraged one day and you're going to be praising God uh, from the depths of your being the next day. This is something that takes time. It's something that's the product of a thousand small decisions that you make throughout every day in your life, choosing to praise as opposed to complain. And so uh, this is, when we talk about cultivating it, it's, it's a slow and lifelong process. But let's see how we are to cultivate a heart of praise. First, we need to adjust our vision. Uh, we are not going to uh, praise if we cannot see correctly. We're not going to praise the things that we do not see. And uh, David, what does David see as he looks out onto his world, his experience? Well, he sees a world where God is present and active and good. He sees a God that is present and active and good. He is powerful and near. And so let's learn from David what he, how he looks at his life in order to see what his focus is on. Well, our vision needs to be able to catch both what is visible and what is invisible. Uh, look at verses 9 through 13 with me. David says, you visit the earth and water it, you greatly enrich it. The river of God is full. He talks about the furrows, you water its furrows abundantly, you crown the year with your bounty. What is David actually seeing with his physical eyes there? Well, he's seeing it rain. He's seeing crops come out of the ground and be harvested. He's seeing people come and harvest those crops and put them in the backs of wagons and take them into cities and sell them. Uh, he's seeing uh, sheep and uh, flocks of uh, goats and animals that are on the hills. So his eyes see these everyday realities that were just no part of his normal life as a, as a shepherd. But that's not how David describes it. He doesn't, he doesn't look outside and say, oh, it's raining. He looks outside and he says, you visit the earth and water it. Your river runs through this. Your harvest is full. Your wagon tracks are full of, of, of grain. You clothe the hills with flocks. It's as if God makes this sheepskin cloak that the hills then put on as he's looking out at this hill. It's poetic because he sees God behind these everyday realities. His vision is able to capture not just what his physical eyes can see, but what his faith knows to be true. That the very everyday provision that he provides with rain and crops and sheep and goats is actually his heavenly father coming down and providing for his everyday reality. That's what he's able to see. So our vision should be able to catch both the visible and the invisible. But our vision should be also be able to catch both what is good and what is hard about life. You might have uh, heard counsel or advice before about how to become a, a more 
praising Christian and uh, may have heard someone say, you know what, you just need to be less negative and you need to be more positive. You just need to forget about the hard things in your life and you need to focus more on the good things and then you'll just be more optimistic and sort of a more upbeat person. Uh, but the problem with that is that that's not Christian praise. That's not the, the, the world that David lives in and that's not the world that you and I live in. But David praises God from the real world where there's darkness and difficulty and, and, and pain. Look at verse 3 with me. He says, When iniquities prevail against me, you atone for our transgressions. What does he mean when he says, when, my, when iniquities prevail against me? Well, David speaks about his sin as if it's an army that's coming against him and, and, and wins, knocks him down, prevails against him. And you and I know what that's like, don't you? When we know we, we, we don't want to sin, we want to fight against temptation, we pray to God to keep us from temptation, and yet our sins often still get the better of us. They prevail against us. But David says, no, I can still praise because you atone for my transgressions. I know that you can forgive me. And David is a man who sinned deeply. He's also a man who lost a newborn son, who had his political enemies pursuing him uh, to kill him. He's a man who knew what it was like to be uh, in situations that don't call for praise often. But he's a man who can still praise God because he knows that God is the solution to those difficulties. So our vision needs to be able to capture not just what's good in life and praiseworthy, but also what's difficult in life and to be able to take those to God and be able to praise him in spite of the difficulties, even through the difficulties of our life. I saw this principle illustrated uh, about vision and how vision, uh, what we see, impacts the way we react a few years ago. I saw this Instagram account that uh, had two pictures. The first picture showed a very kind of Instagram-worthy picture, right? Someone sitting on a quiet, empty beach with palm trees and white sand or a, a laptop sitting on a nicely made bed with some flowers and a hot cup of coffee by it. But then you swipe to the next picture and it gives you the bigger context that's outside the frame that you can see in the first picture. And the person sitting on a beach, uh, it actually crops out the tractor that's pushing the uh, mountain of seaweed down the beach. Uh, you don't see that in the first picture, but you go, oh, okay, well that's, this is real. This is like my life. Or the laptop that's sitting in, on the bed. Once you pan out, you can see that it's in a room that's got clothes and a half-eaten sandwich on the desk and all kinds of junk thrown around the room, not quite as peaceful as it looks in the first picture. But getting the bigger picture, getting the bigger context affects how we react. So that's what it means to, to sharpen our vision. And so let me ask you, what, what is in your vision of your life as you think about uh, your life and, the, and God's role in it? All of us have a little movie that we play, don't we, about what goes on in our life. And, and we edit that movie just like Hollywood edits their their movies where we take out certain portions and we leave them on the floor and we don't think about them and we highlight others. Some get a lot of time, some get a, a little bit of time. What's in that picture for you? When you replay your marriage, what, what are the scenes that, that, that get the most airtime, the, the major plot turns? Are they the places where God is at work in your spouse, bringing about the new creation in them? Do you see God at work in them changing? Or, or is it the disappointments and the failures and the uh, missed expectations that, that make up the majority of the movie? When your paycheck hits your bank account, is it just one more thing that happens? 
Or is it your father coming down and saying, here you go. Here's what you need for this week, for this month. When you come to church, do you, what do you hear and what do you see? What your eyes see and what your ears hear are likely babies and people coming in and uh, cell phones going off and we think, uh, uh, how am I supposed to praise God in a moment like this? But but if we open the the eyes of our faith, what do we see? Well, we see what God tells us to see and what, what God tells us is going on here. And that is that when we gather here, we are gathering in God's heavenly temple together with the angels and archangels in heaven and all the saints who have come before us. That's the reality that God says is happening here. Do do your eyes see that? As your eyes begin to be open to those things, as you ask God to open your vision to those things, he will begin to cultivate in you a greater desire for praise. As you see God as present and near and active and good in your life. But we need to do more than just see rightly, right? Which brings us to the next point I want us to see, and that is that we need to adjust not only our vision, but we need to adjust our priorities. We adjust our priorities. Whenever you praise something, you are necessarily assigning value to it. You are saying, I'm going to praise this thing or this person because it is better than the other things around it, than the other options that I have to offer praise to it. So praise assumes a a sort of a value system that, that all of us have. And so we will praise the things that are of most value to us, and we will pass over the things that aren't as, uh, as valuable to us. So it isn't important just to see. We need to be able to correctly value in the way that God wants us to value. But the problem is that our sin has clouded our ability to, to value correctly. It's scrambled it up. St. Augustine, the 4th century African bishop, uh, called this our disordered loves. He said, you know, the problem with our, uh, with our lives is not so much that we love the wrong things. It's that we love the right things in the wrong order. We put things in the wrong order, and so we don't praise as we should. So what is the right order? Well, we see it in this psalm. Uh, 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 Arthur Brooks, one of my author, uh, uh, an author speaker that I really enjoy, puts it very succinctly. And we see that, in the, I want to show you where I see it in the psalm as well, where he says we ought to use things, love people, worship God. Simple, right? Use things, love people, worship God. But that's not what we do naturally, right? We love things. We use people, and we worship ourselves. But, but we, want those, we want those to look the way that they should, and we see that. David shows us how to do that in the psalm. Look at verses 1 through 4. David begins the psalm by worshiping God. He begins with the communion that he shares with him. In verse 2, he calls him, you who hear prayer. You notice the way he says that. He doesn't say, God hears my prayers from time to time. No, he identifies God as the one who hears prayer. In other words, God hears prayer, not because he chooses to do so, but because that's who he is. And if he was to not hear our prayers, he would be doing something that is out of his nature, out of his character. And so David says, I I commune with you in prayer because you hear me. In verse 3, as we've already seen, he says, my sins don't don't interrupt my communion with you. And so I begin begin this praise with with communion with him. Look at verse 4. He says, what it means to be blessed is to be chosen by God and brought near to Him. Be chosen by God and brought near to Him. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, he says. Communion with God, worship God, the top priority. 
Then love people. That's the next section of this psalm. After communion with God, David's mind turns to the way that God has acted in the world. When he says that he stills the seas and the roaring of their waves, he's thinking back to how God delivered his people out of Egypt and loved people to deliver them from their oppression. That's That's his next priority is how God loves people and cares for people. And only then does his mind move to, the thi- to his things, to crops and rain and wagons and sheep and goats. Uh, and it isn't until he's able to see all of his things in light of the kingdom of God, in light of his communion with God, that he's able to praise God for the things that he has given him, the food and so forth. His stuff, David's stuff, is actually, uh, it's, it's, it isn't as if he says, well, stuff's not important. No, the stuff that God gives him is a, is a, a moment where he can actually issue more praise to God because he can say, God, thank you for providing for me. This is what Jesus talks about in Matthew 6 in the famous passage in the Sermon on the Mount when his disciples are worried about what they're going to wear, what they're going to eat. He says, he says, don't worry about those things. Your Father knows that you need them. Seek first the kingdom of God and all of these things will be added unto you. That's the priority levels that Jesus is, wants for us. Seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added unto you. But you're thinking, well, I know that. Uh, If I were to ask you that, what should be the most important thing in your life? You're going to tell me God and then people and then things. We know that. But but often our lives tell a different story. But so how do we get from where we are now, where we love things, use people, and worship ourselves, to where we should be, where we're loving God, worshiping God, using things, and loving people? Well, David gives us, there's a lot we could say about that, but David gives us a small clue in verse 4. Look at that with me. He says he finds his satisfaction in the house of God. We shall be satisfied with the goodness of your house, the holiness of your temple. Now remember for David, the temple was the place where he would come to see enacted the, his communion with God. He'd see a sacrifice offered for his sins, and so he could know God has paid for my sins because that sacrifice was offered for me. It was a place where he could go see incense offered up by the, by the priests who would enter into the Holy of Holies and, and offer up his prayers. And so he, he could say, I know you hear my prayers because I can see these things. So the temple provided a shape for David's spirituality, for his, for his communion with God. But that temple's long gone. The temple that David knew is long gone. The temple that came after that is gone. And so what do we have here? Well, God has not left you without a temple. In fact, the New Testament teaches very clearly that God still has a temple here on earth. But that temple is here in his church. Listen to 1 Peter chapter 2. Peter says, You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. Like living stones, you're being built up as a spiritual house. The church is the place where God says for you to come and to provide shape to your spiritual life, to your communion with God. But how does that happen? Let me tell you a quick story about how I saw it happen in the life of a young man who came to me. He was struggling with an issue that um, he'd been struggling with for a long time, and he came and said, I need help to do this, and I, uh, I need help to fight against this sin. I noticed that uh, this young man, uh, when he came to church, he would worship from the foyer. He worshiped from the narthex. And then as soon as the worship service was over, he was gone. 
And so I said, I know this doesn't seem related to your problem and your struggle at all, but here's what I want you to do. I said, for the next three months, I want you to worship inside the church. Sounds revolutionary, but come inside the building. And, I, and, and then I want you to stick around for five minutes after the service. And he was kind and said, okay, well, that doesn't seem related to my problem at all, but I'll do it. So sure enough, he came and sat in the last row. And then sure enough, it's like he set a timer on his iPhone or something like that. In five minutes, he was gone. But after a few weeks, the last row became three rows up. And the five minutes turned into ten minutes. And then after about a month or six weeks, he was sitting about halfway, halfway up. And the ten minutes turned into fifteen minutes. And then the fifteen minutes turned into half an hour and lunches after church with friends and relationships that he began to make. And, and, I, and it began to be able to push back the issue in his life, not because it was something magic that happened, but because he engaged in the life of the church and he connected with other living stones. And so this stone that was kind of cast out in the quarry somewhere, God brought in and made part of the wall of the city. He, he, he mortared him in in a way that he hadn't been before. And so that's one way as we prioritize the church in our life and in our schedule and actually coming and in being engaged and singing the songs and praying the prayers and confessing your sins and, and meaning it, that he begins to provide shape to the rest of your spiritual life and communion with him. So we prioritize it in our time and schedule. But we also, another way that, that this can, that the church can shape our priorities is by including the church in your prayers, including the church in your prayers. John Piper wrote a great article years ago uh, about praying in concentric circles where he says, you know, the first thing you should pray for is your own communion with God, your own soul, your own heart before him and confessing your sins to him and so forth. But, and then there's a circle outside of that that's your immediate family and the people God has uh, given or maybe your closest friends, people who, have, who has given you responsibility for. But then the next circle outside of that ought to be filled with the names of the people that are sitting around you this morning. Their burdens should become your burdens. Their praises, your praises. Their worries and their anxieties, your anxieties. And as you begin to pray for them, as you begin to lift them up to God, you'll begin to ask them more about what, uh, how those things are going in their life. And your, their praises will become your praises. You will see the things that David sees here in a way that you hadn't seen them before as you see God work not only in your own life, but in the life of other people. And so including the church, prioritizing the church in your prayers is a way to begin to shape and cultivate a heart for praise. There's a lot of other ways that this can happen, but those are two of the main ways that God can begin to shape your life into a life of praise. So we need to change our vision. We need to change our priorities, and we've seen how the church can do that. But there's a third thing that we need to adjust and that is that we need to adjust our voices. We need to adjust our voices. What do I mean by that? Praise ultimately is an issue of the heart, right? We can't just do it outwardly. But praise is much more than just an issue of the heart. It's an issue of everything that God has given you, your body and your soul. And so until our praise comes out of our mouths, it isn't praise yet. In verse 1, uh, uh, David says, Praise is due to you, O God, in Zion. But if, if some of your Bibles may have a footnote that uh, down at the bottom of the page says, uh, if, you, if you have translated this literally, it would say, 
Praise waits for you in silence. Praise waits for you in silence. In other words, the idea that, that uh, he's getting us here is like the guests at a surprise party that are sitting quietly in the house and in the room waiting for the birthday boy or the birthday girl to arrive. And they're, be, they're being quiet because they don't want to ruin the surprise. But whenever the person walks in the room, they erupt and they say, surprise. And, and that, that is, that's the idea that David wants us to have here, that praise can wait in silence. Praise can wait for God. But when God arrives, when God comes, praise cannot remain silent. Praise cannot remain merely in your heart and in your thoughts. It's got to come out through your body, through your words, through, uh, through your hands, through your arms. Praise must come out. And friends, the, the Christian life is one in which praise waited in silence for a lot of history. Praise waited in silence for God to come, for God to arrive. And the, and the essence of the gospel is that God has arrived. He's arrived, not just in the way that David says in verse 9, that you visit the earth and water it, but God actually visited the earth when the Son of God put on flesh and came and experienced life as you and I know it and was able to praise God throughout his life through the difficulties, through the sadness, through the struggles, through the joys of life. Jesus came, arrived, and the world should erupt with praise. And so... Our praise cannot remain silent. Friends, when you come into this place, sing, speak, lift up your hands, worship God, praise God, and watch Him as He shapes, the, the, shapes your life, shapes your heart into a life of praise. A couple weeks ago, I attended a funeral for uh, Grace Yonemiki. Uh, Albert and Esther, Grace's parents, uh, are from the uh, Democratic Republic of the Congo, and they're refugees, actually, in Austin, and they're members of our church. And uh, Albert and Esther uh, uh, found out they were pregnant with Grace, and uh, about two months ago found out that Grace didn't have any kidney tissue as she was in utero. And so without any kidney tissue, she couldn't produce amniotic fluid, and without amniotic fluid, your lungs cannot develop. And so the doctors told Esther and Albert, she's, she is okay as long as she's in the womb, but when she's born, she is not going to have any lungs, and so she's not, she's not going to be able to live for very long. And so together with the rest of the church, we prayed for a misdiagnosis. We prayed for a miracle. We prayed that, that somehow they missed something, that she would be born and, and fine. But uh, about three weeks ago, Grace was born, and uh, after about five hours with her family that she lived, she went to be with Jesus. And at the funeral, I watched Albert in the front row with his hands up like this, praising God in front of a casket about this big. How can he do that, I thought. How can he praise God when his eyes can only see this? He could praise because his eyes could see something that his physical eyes couldn't see. He could, he could see the promise of Jesus that, that he would raise her up again. 
that one day she would be able to praise God in heaven with a body with lungs and she'd be able to sing to Christ, her Savior. He, his vision could see that through the little casket. His priorities were set the way that they should be because he knew that this life is not ultimately where she belongs, but, but ultimately she belongs in the kingdom of heaven and he could praise God that even though she enjoyed a short few hours with her family here, that she is, in, she is home. She's in the place where God has designed her to be. And he didn't remain silent in the face of such an unspeakable tragedy. He praised God with his lips. Friends, God is training all of us, little by little, to be able to offer that kind of praise. Praise in the most unspeakable of tragedies. And what was true about Albert is true of us, that, that he trained Albert in little moments all throughout his life through unspeakable tragedies that he experienced back in Africa all the way up to this moment so that his heart was trained when it was time to praise him in a moment that he didn't expect. And he's doing that in your life too. He's opening your eyes, he's reorienting your priorities, and he's opening your mouth to be able to issue praise to God who deserves it. So may God make us a church of praise. I'm excited to be along this journey with you to, to lead us into a, to lives characterized by praise. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful that we can know you. So grateful that we can praise you. We confess that often praising you is not what is naturally in us, that often we want to grumble, to complain, as your people have done in the past, and we confess that, and we ask you to forgive us for that, but we pray that you would open our eyes to be able to see your activity in this world. Help us to see what we can't see. Only your Spirit can open our eyes to see those things, so we pray that you would do that in us and through us. Transform us into a people who know what it means to love you, to serve you, and ultimately to praise you, to honor you, to glorify you. And may our church be known as people of praise. When the world around us is discouraged and, uh, and, and complaining, may they see us as people who can praise because we know God and because God, you know us. By your grace, do that in us and through us, we pray. In the name of Christ, amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information or would like to support the ministry of UCB, please visit our website at ucbogota.org.